The following episode contains spoilers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of As Good As They Say. We are looking at Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time as voted by people who work in Hollywood because their opinion is the most important, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we are looking today at film number 94, which is The Deer Hunter. Uh, I am your host, Connor, here as always. And my co-host today, we're bringing back Joe from the early episodes. Hello, everyone. Joe's back. We're all happy. Joe's my default... Uh, no one has a connection to this movie host. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Because <laughs> I hadn't I, I hadn't heard of this film before the list. I don't mm. you I'd seen it once, uh most of the way through. I, I watched it in a in a film class a while back. <laughs> Alright, so this movie, which I hadn't heard of, and is a best picture winner, so mm. good on me. Um comes to us uh from director Michael Cimino in nineteen seventy eight. It is uh, partially based uh, on a separate screenplay uh, called The Man Who Came to Play, which was never produced as The Man Who Came to Play. And uh, that screenplay was originally just about, like, an underground Russian roulette scene in Vegas. Hmm. And Shimino redeveloped it into that, but with the Vietnam War. Yeah, pretty big change, really. <laughs> it changes a lot of things thematically. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So... Vietnam film, uh, this is three years after the fall of Saigon, which is pretty much the end of the Vietnam War, our U.S. involvement over there. Uh, so fairly fresh for everyone at the time of the film. Despite a potential uh, backlash about the Vietnam uh, subject matter, uh, it was viewed uh, very favorably critically, uh, going to Rotten Tomatoes. It has 63 critic reviews on there. Uh, they average at 8.6 out of 10, uh, giving it a 94% Fresh rating, so mm. it's pretty up there. It has a 92% uh, rating with the audience, and there are so many reviews. So, mm. you know, they're, 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 that was a healthier people have clearly gone to Rotten Tomatoes and given their ratings. Whereas, as I always say, pre-internet films on Rotten Tomatoes, the number of reviews you're going to get will vary. Right. Uh, 63 is probably a fair net, though. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to certify anything fresh because of the number of reviews. Yeah, basically. Um, on Metacritic, there are only 12 reviews. Hmm. Uh, it's got an 81 out of 100 on there. Uh, so pretty close. It's 8.6, both over 8 out of 10, technically speaking. Uh, the user score on Metacritic is 7.3. Uh, and the critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes says, uh, Its greatness is blunted by its length and one-sided point of view, but the film's weaknesses are overpowered by Michael Cimino's sympathetic direction, and a series of heartbreaking performances from Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep, and Christopher Walken. That's uh, what we drew out of all those positive reviews. Uh, in terms of awards, as I mentioned, this was a Best Picture winner at the Oscars. So uh, it actually took home a few wins and also a few more nominations. Winners, other than Best Picture, we also got Best Directing. Uh, Christopher Walken took home Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it also received Best Editing and Best Sound. Uh, its nominations included uh, Robert De Niro for Best Actor, uh, Meryl Streep for Best Supporting Actress and actually her first Oscar nomination. Hmm. So the beginning of, you know, just the greatest Oscar career ever. Yeah. <laughs> best Cinematography nomination and uh, a Best Writing nomination, uh, specifically screenplay written directly for the screen. Mm -hmm. I think they kind of reword the writing mm -hmm. uh, awards every once in a while. Uh, right. Is that one, uh, do you know if that refers to the original or the... I, I think the... it'd be The Deer Hunter. Okay. Uh, I feel like if it... I feel like it would have to be considered, like, adapted screenplay. Yeah, probably. Um, again, the technicality there sometimes, I, I'm never sure. It also got Best Director at the Golden Globes, and then uh, a lot of other independent awards in terms of wins and nominations. So, very well recognized, lauded by many. Uh, so, plot-wise, uh, the basic, the very basic overview is uh, the film uh, goes from 1967 to 75 to the end of the conflict in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. We follow a group of uh, friends from a small town in Pennsylvania. They are steel workers. Some of them are going off to war. And we see them before the war. We see them in the war. And we see how they are once they return, for those who return. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a large focus of the film, according to the director, 
is about how uh, pressure changes people. And I would say war is a large pressure. Yeah, pretty big one. <laughs> uh, so normally I would kind of like to dive into character breakthroughs, but we talked about this. And since a lot of this film is very like about big defined before and afters, we're going to do a more detailed plot synopsis mm -hmm. uh, just so that when we do talk about characters, it's not a lot of backtracking in case you haven't seen the film and just wanted to listen it yeah it'd be a lot of a character from beginning to finish now here's what happened with the other person just the, <laughs> the whole story again yeah so uh the first basically the first act of the film is uh the it's six friends six guy friends who are all steel workers uh three of them will be going to vietnam that is a uh, de niro's character walken's character and uh, john savage mm -hmm. uh mike nick and steven respectively mm-hmm and uh, they, this first act is a lot of uh, them kind of just hanging out. Like there are, they're, they're building up to Stephen is going to get married before he goes off to war. Mm -hmm. uh, Lots of establishing their dynamic together yeah, as friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like as much as they are like, you know, the wedding's like uh, tonight or tomorrow. I don't exactly remember when. It was mm -hmm. very soon from the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, but they are like just hanging out at a bar, uh, talking about hunting. We are, there's hunting in the deer hunter. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And just kind of getting a feel for how they act together. Uh, some some specific personalities, I feel like some of that doesn't come until we get into the wedding itself. Yeah. Uh, um, you kind of just, early on you get a, uh, a very broad view of the friend group. Yeah, yeah, group, group dynamic, uh, like you said. Uh, eventually it kind of gets a little more individual. Like we see just uh, Mike and Nick together because uh, they live together. Obviously Steven's getting married, so there is a little focus on him. Uh, we also see a little bit of Meryl Streep's character. She plays Linda, who is Nick's girlfriend. She's a bridesmaid. She gets some individual focus towards the beginning, which kind of is just to establish that her father abuses her. Yeah. And then we get into... And then, like, relationship stuff of, like, she's with Nick. Some of the dynamics she has with Mike. Uh, there's potential feelings there for each other as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, all, all it's really just, like, who are these people? Uh, and then we get into the wedding... And the wedding is a very long scene. Yeah. Um, the wedding goes on for a while. Uh, it is, you know, it's the mass. Uh, it's a Russian Orthodox wedding. Uh, so it's the mass and the reception. The reception takes up a majority of it. Right. Um, so you see kind of traditional wedding stuff. Like there's some tradition stuff they do. Uh, there's the drinking of the wine for good luck, mm -hmm. uh, which I guess was a thing. I, I didn't. I don't know. Much. I wasn't aware, but it sounds no, about right. I've, I've been to one Orthodox wedding in my life. Uh, it wasn't Russian. I don't know what differences there are. I also wasn't at the reception for that wedding. I was only at the ceremony, so mm -hmm. maybe it happened. Right. <laughs> um, regardless, so at the wedding, uh, we're seeing the guys who are going to Vietnam are, like, being honored alongside, like, the wedding itself. Mm -hmm. um, everyone is getting really drunk, like, obscenely drunk. Right. <laughs> um, we get just a little more characterization. Like, De Niro barely dances for a long time. He's just at the bar. Uh, Meryl Streep. I'm going to say actor names a lot more than character uh, yeah. names. I. <laughs> It's a little easy. None of them have very standout names mm -hmm. uh, until you incorporate their last names, which are all very Russian. Mm -hmm. um, but like we see Streep, like who is like having a good time partying, but also seems like sort of nervous the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, we get some more friend dynamic. We see more of like their buddy Stan, who's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> um, uh, John and uh, Axel, who are kind of just the big fun loving guys of the group. We do see one big thing that happens there is they uh, run into a Green Beret who comes mm -hmm. to the wedding. And that is a little more of like the Vietnam discussion because they're like really drunkenly asking him what it's like. And mm -hmm. his line is, fuck it. Mm -hmm. um, and they have a, a pretty disrespectful response. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You hear that, guys? Fuck it. Fuck. It's like, oh, y'all about to get taught. Um, <laughs> uh, but this wedding... It, it goes on it goes on for quite a while and then um, towards the end uh, when they're all actually leaving um, there's a point when de Niro and Joaquin have a heart to heart after the fact de Niro also runs through the streets naked to get to this point uh-huh I just they had a fun night <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they have this actual heart to heart where Joaquin's character says you know don't leave me over there um, like they're actually talking about it a bit mm -hmm. um, talking about how much he loves it here uh, yeah, at home yeah um, they're little Clareton Pennsylvania. Uh, then we get into the next day, they actually go hunting, which is kind of where we get the whole the deer hunter aspect. Uh, that being De Niro's character, Mike, is like, he's the main character 
mm-hmm. uh, even among the three who are going to war and get the most focus. Uh, and we see, we really, like, we see the trip before, which is, again, a little more group dynamic stuff. You see uh, Stan is given some more shit as being, again, kind of the asshole. Mm-hmm. You see, they, they really make a point to show De Niro sees hunting as this very important, almost, like, sacred experience. Mm-hmm. You see him hunting. It's a lot of, like, just him walking the mountains. It's very serene, very beautiful nature, cinematography, like, choir music. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other friends out there are uh, just goofing around, mm-hmm. talking about other stuff, arguing, uh, like, talking about what food they're going to eat, uh, <laughs> while, whereas um, Mike is focused. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Nick, Walken's character is, like, more or less on the same level as Mike, actually. Yeah. But he's also kind of the mediator, I think. Uh-huh. Um, so he, he's also the one who's like, Mike, stop being so hard on everyone. Mm-hmm. I would like to enjoy myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and really, like, once the hunt happens, we're really only with Mike for that first hunting scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, again, a little more character stuff, um, giving you the title of the film and giving it some meaning. There's the whole one-shot idea of, like, you gotta kill a deer in just one shot, and that kind of comes back around towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we see them all back at a bar late at night. Their buddy owns a bar in town, so they can just get in whatever they want. And it becomes this, like, somber, like, moment of, like, now that they're less rowdy, they're all kind of realizing, like, you know, three of them are going to go off to war and things are going to have to be different to an extent. Yeah. And then war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, we get into, so we get into Vietnam, like, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, quickly in terms of scene to scene, not quickly in terms of in the film. Right. <laughs> um, I think I think I read le- the lead up to Vietnam is, like, 51 minutes. Mm-hmm. We get into Vietnam... And very quickly, we're in it. Uh, we're with Mike. He's in, like, a burned-out, like, bombed-out little Vietnamese village. Uh, he kills, like, a member of the Viet Cong. And then uh, some choppers come in, seemingly as, like, scouts or rescues, potentially. And uh, Nick and Steve are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they meet up with Mike again, and they all go off together. And then, really quickly, we see them in a new situation where they're all POWs now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this introduces one of the big themes, which is the Russian roulette. Um, the people who have kidnapped them for fun are making like two prisoners at a time are alternating Russian roulette. And here we see, we start to see how the war is affecting them. Steve is starting to like really kind of lose it from the pressure and the fear. De Niro's probably the most focused. I'm just like, we need to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick is kind of like silent until like he's up there and then you can see it like getting to him too. Yeah. They get away though. Uh, they managed to actually kill all their captors. I think they're the only survivors at that point, though. I believe so. Uh, so they get away. They end up, like, going down river. A chopper comes to pick them up. Uh, it only picks up Nick. It tries to get all three of them. Uh, Steve falls, and Mike goes after him. So Nick walk in and gets saved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually we find Mike and Steve do come across, like, a military caravan that's with the South Vietnamese. Uh, so he leaves Steve with one of the jeeps to like get him to safety and then mike kind of goes off on his own mm-hmm. we then cut around we see uh nick is in a hospital again the stress is getting to him now he's having some memory problems when they're kind of they're asking questions about his identity at home it seems to kind of ascertain how he's doing mentally right and he starts to have a lot of trouble when he's asked about his parents some details and he just starts like crying without answering and mm-hmm. Uh, I remember at the time it was a little hard to, for me to tell, like, does he forget or is, like, for some reason the memory just, like, painful? Right. Um, I think based on later in the film, it was more forgetting. Mm-hmm. We see him, like, try to call Linda and then put the phone down before, like, the call goes through. Mm-hmm. Um, he ends up in, like, a red light district in, I don't know if he was in Saigon at that point. I think he was. Mm-hmm. And Nick ends up getting roped into underground Russian roulette there, like... More proper gambling as a, it's like not a prisoner of war thing necessarily. Yeah, he's, he's like voluntarily showing up for matches, Mm -hmm. like they're being organized. Yeah, he kind of like accidentally drifts into it and Mm -hmm. really, and he has a really bad reaction at first. Like it freaks him out and he like, he grabs the gun and like he pulls the trigger on like one, one of the competitors and then himself, it doesn't go off either time. Mm -hmm. And then the guy who showed it to him, he just kind of like. He just looks despondent and he just kind of like goes with him in his car and it was like, and he like, he, he's given money and he like throws it into the street. Like he doesn't care, but he just sort of goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth learning before this, he also uh, almost hooked up with a prostitute and like, 
remember she asked like, what do you want to call me? And he said, Linda, but then he quickly leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of just can't bring himself to do it. There's also a kid in the room, which is probably part of it. He, he does mention that. Yeah, It's all very dark. Uh, but at that first Russian roulette match, it's worth noting that Mike is also there in the crowd. And he sees Nick and tries to go after him, but Nick never sees him. Mm-hmm. So after that, we pretty much cut right back to Pennsylvania. This is Mike's homecoming. Mm-hmm. And Mike of the three is, while still affected, is probably the least affected. Right. Um, he, he goes home. He purposely avoids his homecoming party. Mm-hmm. He goes to like a motel for the night. Uh, but he is home. He goes to see Linda, uh, specifically, and their feelings that were kind of up in the air at the beginning of the film do kind of coalesce into something more, mm-hmm. especially with Nick not being back. Mike is talking to his friends. You can see they are all kind of in the same places in their lives, more or less. Yeah. They're just kind of casually asking, oh, how was it? Mm-hmm. Like, they know, obviously, it wasn't, it was tough, but th- they don't understand. Yeah, they're not, they're not, like, incessantly pushing, but they're also not super delicate. Yeah, they're like, thanks, it's great to have you back. Yeah, or like, and I know someone sees his medals and says, like, did you win the war by yourself? Which uh. is also worth noting, everyone's talking about winning the war. Yeah. And in hindsight, when we look at Vietnam, that's not usually what we talk about. Right. Um. So... Again, it's it's Mike kind of trying to exist. He has a line where he says, I feel distant and like far away, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a good, like concise way to probably put that feeling into words as someone, I've, no, neither of us are military, but like from what I've just heard of stories, like that feels like a good way to like put mm-hmm. into words. Um, so then we go to a new hunting trip. Uh, I, this might not be the exact order of events, uh, but one of the things that happens is he goes on another hunting trip with the guys who are still there, which is just uh, John Axel and Stan. Mm-hmm. And we see Mike off on his own again, stalking a deer, and he misses. And then he, he just lets it go away, which is interesting because the deer is not shown to run after the gunshot. Mm-hmm. And instead he kind of puts his gun down and he screams, okay, into like the ravine. Right. And it's interesting because they don't play up. It's not like a big like PTSD panic attack or anything. Mm-hmm. He just can't do it right which i think you've talked about like you've had family members who were kind of similar in that yeah they uh were really big into hunting and after coming back from war they just couldn't do it anymore they had uh nightmares about being hunted by deer so understandably wouldn't be as into it yeah um interestingly we also see the other guys actually doing a little more hunting this time of like clearly chasing the deer without any tact yeah like loudly running and screaming they're really rowdy they're not like uh stalking a deer they're just like let's see if we can run up and shoot it (laughs) yeah they're they're bad hunters from what i gather so another big thing that happens in that moment is while they're all in they have a cabin that they go to and stan uh he has this little revolver he carries around all the time and he often if people are like giving him shit will like point it at them Mm -hmm. and mike sees it and mike kind of loses it like Having been in war, I think, like, jokingly threatening with a gun is mm-hmm. th- kind of setting him off. And and it's worth noting, Stan isn't, like, laughingly. Like, he... If you didn't know Stan's personality, it would seem like he's actually threatening you with a gun. Yeah. Um, but Mike, like, flips out. He takes the gun. He does, like, a one-bullet Russian roulette thing, and he actually pulls the trigger on Stan. Mm-hmm. He also, um... Uh, whenever he pulls the gun from Stan, Stan's like, are you, what are you doing? Uh, it's not loaded. And he uh, fires into the ceiling. It was loaded. It was completely loaded. Yeah. Because it's a little revolver and it was, the chamber was full. Uh-huh. Um, so that's kind of one of the big uh, post-war Mike moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next one is he learns kind of casually from the guys when he asks how Angela, Steven's wife, is doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of them lets it slip that they talked and Steve is back and Mike didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Steve, we see, uh, he had broken his legs during the escape. Mm -hmm. And what we learn is that they've been amputated and he's in a veteran's hospital in a wheelchair. And Mike goes to see him and Steve really just, he kind of doesn't want to come back. He feels like he doesn't have a place as this like, now disabled like war vet he's just mm. he's visibly obviously different it seems to have really affected him not mm. to mention we saw that he was under probably the most immediate mental stress at the time right 
Every t- uh, we didn't mention at the time, but uh, when they were in the pit waiting to like up next to be Russian roulette, every time he heard the click of the revolver up above, uh, he had uh, like another surge of a panic attack. Yeah, and they were had to calm him down. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, like because he first he talks to Mike on the phone and he like. He kind of ends the call prematurely because I think he can tell Mike is going to ask him about, like, coming home. Mm-hmm. And then Mike goes and gets him. And as much as he's like, no, Mike, don't do it. Like, you kind of see him, like, towards the end of, like, kind of just resign and let Mike push him out. Right. Because it is a motor wheelchair, so he mm-hmm. could have, like, sort of fought it. Yeah. Um, but one of the big things we learn is that uh, someone's been sending Stephen money from Saigon. Mm-hmm. And Mike is like, that's got to be Nick because Nick never came home. And we know he's, like, they know he's AWOL. They've been officially notified that he was AWOL. Right. So Mike just goes to Saigon. And this is, like, 75. This is, like, the city's going to fall soon, historically. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nick is in the Russian roulette circuit still, and he's playing. Like, mm-hmm. he's not gambling. He's not organizing. He's playing with the gun and the red headbands, because mm-hmm. that's what they wear. Um, <laughs> and Mike finds him. Nick seems to have, like, no memory. He's just, like... And it, it's worth noting, he's like, I'm Mike. Say it's say it's Mike. And he says, it's Mike. Who's Mike? Yeah. Um. So Mike decides to be his opponent to see if it jogs a memory. And uh, they're talking, and he's, like, holding the gun to make sure that Nick, like, won't shoot himself, and he has time to, like, talk. And y'all see Nick's arms are, like, completely torn up now from something ever since he got back. Mm-hmm. And they're talking. He's like, remember the hunting? Remember the mountains and the trees you talked about? And... Nick, like, smiles a little and says one shot, which was, again, a reference to Mike talking about the proper way to kill a deer. Mm-hmm. And Mike's like, yeah, one shot. And after that, Nick just shoots himself. Mm-hmm. Like, well, he he does the roulette. I don't know if he knew he was going to shoot himself, but he does. Yeah. And you just see Mike, like, run over. He's crying. He's cradling, you know, dead Nick now. Mm-hmm. And when we, we just go back to Pennsylvania and we're at the funeral, like, they brought his body home and they're doing the funeral officially. And it's just this really somber... You know, he was supposed to, he promised to bring Nick back, and this is the only way he could, it seems. Mm-hmm. And uh, we end after the funeral. They go to the bar, and uh, John, the one who owns the bars, you know, he's making them breakfast. He's offering them coffee and beer and stuff. And they all start singing God Bless America, and that's the end of the film. After they finish singing, and they say, like, to Nick, mm-hmm. it just freeze frames on that dinner scene. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. That was a lot of plot summary, but to talk about how where these characters are... It's sort of important. Yeah. So on that note, let's get into our, our main cast. Uh, starting with Robert De Niro, Sergeant Michael Vronsky. They all have very Russian last names. I apologize if I get these wrong. Yeah. Uh, so he is the deer hunter. Um, I've said, you know, hunting is this like sacred place for him. It's They really frame it like it's his church, mm-hmm. like with the sound design and the music and everything. He's more or less the most mature of the friend group. He's kind of the group dad, but like the hard ass dad who's like, if if you screw up, mm-hmm. it's on you. Yeah, I think uh, one of the friends was asking for like spare boots. Oh, Stan. Uh, that was yeah, of course it was Stan. <laughs> um, and he's like, no, you you always forget your boots. Uh, this time you don't have them. It's on you. <laughs> so before the war, he. You know, he talks about it, and he's clearly taking it seriously, other than that one drunken Green Beret discussion. Mm-hmm. But he takes hunting seriously, he takes that seriously. In war, he is sort of the most focused on surviving and getting out. Mm-hmm. And then after the war, he's, while not okay, he's like the most okay. Mm-hmm. And we just see it has taken its toll. But it's taken its toll, like, it's still Mike's personality kind of shaped by the war. Right. Um. It's just that maturity has kind of become a coldness. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the big things is also, as I've said, the kind of love triangle with uh, Walken, Streep, and De Niro. Early in the film, there's like implications that he has feelings for her when he's starting to get more drunk at the wedding and he's hanging out with her at the bar. Mm-hmm. And then after he's back, they basically begin a relationship. Um, they're living together because Streep was staying at their home because of her abusive father. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they sleep together at one point and... Even after Nick is back, since that's the end of the film, it's hard to say where they'll end up after that. But right. for all intents and purposes, they were acting on feelings. Mm-hmm. He was he did make a point to never actually do anything while Nick was around, though, and mm-hmm. you know respects his friend, which I appreciate. And yeah, he's just he very much is avoiding like a lot of the war talk and the attention that would come. Mm-hmm. And he is sort of the 
he can't really be the center of the group like he was anymore mm-hmm. uh because it, he's he's just seen so many different things now and it it seems i would say that like after at the end of after this movie i feel like he would probably integrate a little back into society more but i i don't think he'd ever be like really i don't see him being like really happy yeah especially with one of his his big passions uh taken away from him by his war experience the yeah deer hunting he's, he's no longer the deer hunter yeah the movie's a lie yeah <laughs> um so uh christopher walken uh the next one he is corporal he's nick but his full name is nikanor chevatarovich mm-hmm. i think yeah <laughs> Uh, so he is, I would say he's the closest to Mike. Uh, he was the best man at Steve's wedding, but mm-hmm. I get the impression he's like Mike's best friend. Right. He is properly in a relationship with Linda. They're actually together uh, at the wedding. He asks her if they want to get married when he gets back. Mm-hmm. He he also is taking the war seriously, and he seems more scared because he's the one who says to Mike, you know, don't let me die there. Don't let me get stuck there. Mm-hmm. Bring me back. So... His his mental breakdown is really interesting because it's it's not like like with Steven we get the the kind of archetypal actively panicking kind of breakdown PS PTSD and even during the war mm-hmm. his is this like he also becomes kind of like despondent and distant but he like loses himself in it. Mm-hmm. I know we talked like do you think he actually forgot who he was? Mm-hmm. Or do you think he was just trying to make Mike go away? Mm-hmm. I think he probably forgot. I think it might have affected him that much. Right. Kind of for lack of a better term, it seems like he kind of loses his soul. Yeah. Uh, that sounds about right. Because he's he's kind of welcoming death. He's part of this Russian roulette circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't remember anyone from where he's from. You know, the hometown he loved, the mountains, the trees he loved. Like, he really loved where he was from. And it's just, he doesn't remember it. Mm-hmm. And even when he does, seemingly... You know, he still kind of just accepts his death and it seems like he didn't think there was anything left or he couldn't go back or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like either interpretation, it's worth looking at the other. If he did have his memory, did he just feel that he was so changed that he couldn't go back? He couldn't go home and that this was he was changed enough to just fit into this place now. And I think that's equally sad. Yeah. Uh, I think the only hint at that is that he's sending Steve the money. Uh-huh. But we've talked about like I wonder if that's just a prearranged thing he had or mm-hmm. like or if he partially remembered that he needed to do that but not exactly yeah, what was there. You can play with an amnesia story like that, so uh-huh. I'm not sure. But uh, Walking got his supporting actor win for that, mm-hmm. and that's fair. I think that that last actual scene when he kills himself was like Probably one of the most affecting scenes for me that wasn't like a wartime scene. Right. Not to mention, I mean, all of them had to do crazy acting, especially during the war. Like, just the intensity of that, because they made it very scary. Mm-hmm. And then of the other uh, Vietnam guys, we have uh, John Savage playing Corporal Stephen Pushkov. Uh, so we're introduced to him as the groom at his wedding. He's marrying Angela. They, they talk about how Angela they're getting married partially because Angela's pregnant. Mm-hmm. But... I do. He does seem like to actually care about her and love her. And like, there's, I think there's evidence to say it was also like theoretically a happy marriage if this war wasn't interfering. Yeah. As we've said, the war kind of breaks him the quickest. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're POWs, like you said, even just the clicks of the empty chambers are setting him off. Right. He, during his Russian roulette scene, actually, he does get the bullet, but he panics and tilts the gun so it grazes his head mm-hmm. and they throw him in a cage full of rats mm-hmm. as punishment. He ends up breaking his legs uh, during their attempted escape, and he loses them. And as we've talked about, it kind of makes him a different type of despondent. They're all in kind of levels of that yeah. when they're done. Um, but, you know, he knows who he is. He just feels like... It's like he, it's like almost like he feels like he's less of himself or, like, less of a man now. And I, I noticed that after a certain point, it seems like his personality is pretty intact. Because whenever he... Like, he doesn't want to leave the Veterans Hospital... But his attitude is, oh, come on, Mike. You said you yeah. weren't going to do this. He's almost back to normal in terms of just his basic personality. Yeah, and he was happy to talk to Mike. And like, yeah. and he held that conversation pretty well until it leaned into, do you want to come home stuff? Right. Um, and he is back, you know, at the even at the funeral, he's there. And I don't get the impression he's leaving again. Yeah. Uh, he's got a son, and I'm glad he's also going to try and be a dad, which is nice. Mm. 
because uh, the kid is born and like a toddler by the time we get there. Uh, this isn't technically speaking an eight year film, right? Uh, we don't. There's no like years given. That's just like you never know exactly when certain events are transitioning, but mm-hmm. um, just historical context. Uh, so then we have Meryl Streep as Linda. Uh, she's Nick's girlfriend, and I guess kind of fiance if that's a real proposal yeah because it is kind of a casual let's get married all right yeah when i get back (laughs) um she's abused by her father and by that i mean there's one scene where she's at home with her dad and he hits her and then he's never in the film again and it's kind of never brought up again yeah we're gonna get to some notes on that but it's set up so she's definitely like she definitely has feelings for mike when the war is over and he's back she seemed like she might have been a little into him before. Mm-hmm. I, It was hard to tell because her personality overall was kind of sheepish sheepish and nervous. Uh-huh. And I couldn't tell how much she was just kind of like naturally being kind of like shy even with her friends. Yeah. Uh, whereas like De Niro was like kind of making eyes at her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just kind of like, yeah, sh- sure, Mike. And I'm like, are you nervous because you are attracted or are you nervous because that's yourself? Mm-hmm. And it's also worth thinking about even though they uh the there are feelings when they get back we don't know how much of that is feelings from before emerging mm-hmm. or new feelings because they've both experienced loss yeah and it, it kind of brings them together i do think her feelings for nick were stronger because she does have a breakdown or two about oh that. Yeah, yeah and like i i think if they were both there she'd stay with him mm-hmm. but um, it's like a comfort thing yeah with that, that's what she even refers to it at one point mm-hmm. worth noting meryl streep accepted the res- the role because uh john kazali i'm not exactly sure how to say it who played stan he, at, the, at this time, had been diagnosed with lung cancer. This actually ended up being his final film role, and she wanted to work with him on it. Mm-hmm. And I saw when I was reading, uh, I think I was on just the Wikipedia summary, and someone referred to it as, she accepted the role of, and then in quotes, stock vague girlfriend. Uh-huh. And I don't know, I didn't, I didn't follow up on the source, so I don't know if that was her quote or the person who was writing about the film. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's not, it's kind of accurate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Uh, so the next character I wanted to bring up is uh, Rutanya Alda, playing uh, Angela, Stephen's wife. And oh, this name. So she hyphenates her name. <laughs> um, so she's not just Angela Pushkov. She's Angela Lujerovich Pushkov in order DHJD at one point in that name. Yeah. I'm not good with Russian and I, I apologize. Uh-huh. Um, but they get married. She's pregnant. At the wedding, a big thing to note is there's this uh, little ritual they do where they, there's like a, it's a wine glass, but it's like for two mm-hmm. and you're supposed to both drink at the same time. And if you don't spill it, it's good luck for your marriage. And we get a little close up of like two drops falling on her dress and no one notices, mm-hmm. but foreshadowing essentially yeah. that their life is going to suck. Mm-hmm. So after the wedding, obviously we're at the war, so there's no focus on her. Mm-hmm. We then uh, get when she is back and Mike goes to see her to figure out where Steve is. She is bedridden. Mm-hmm. She is seemingly like mute. Like she won't speak. She like writes things down for Mike. Right. And we we kind of feel that was much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seemed too much for uh like obviously it, it's traumatic to have your uh spouse come home and not want to uh see you yet. But um well I'd say upsetting, not I wouldn't call that traumatic. Yeah, I we and I think the problem is we don't get a lot of time with Angela. So all I can define her as is the bride at the wedding and the wife and mother who is really it, it, like I don't I'm I, I don't want to like say like how dare you have to have these like negative reactions to your wartime husband and like like it's just there's there's like no time given to her so it's just this sudden jump of like look how look angela's not doing well and i'm like mm-hmm. why like what was said or what was told to her specifically that like drove her to this because mm-hmm. like to our knowledge he's just in a hospital unless he specifically was like i'm never coming home uh but even then you'd think a doctor would explain yeah, I, uh, it was weird to yeah. me, honestly. So uh, then getting into the the friends who are more minor characters. We have uh, John Cazali, who played Stan. Uh, his nickname is Stosh. I don't know why. Mm. Uh, um, so as I said, this was his final acting role. He had lung cancer diagnosed at the time. I put down here, uh, womanizer in quotes of the group. And what I mean by that is I think he is the one who is most active 
actively going after women, mm-hmm. and he seems to have varying degrees of success. Yeah. Stan's a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, characterizing moments with him are the the bridesmaid he is at the wedding with when she's dancing with another guy, and he's, like, kind of, like, feeling her up, and, like, he goes over, and I'm like, oh, he's going to fight the guy. No, nah, he hits the girl. Yeah. What? Why? Why did you? All right, like uh, uh, um, the gun thing. Like he's constantly had his little revolver, and whenever they're like, "Why do you have that?" He says, "In case." And like, I got the impression that that is not protection; that is intimidation. He wants to be the guy who can pull a gun on you. Yeah, Stan. Um, I would, as much as I don't like him, I would say he's a good character. Yeah, he is the man who doesn't respect guns. But thinks he's so powerful because he has one. He yeah. doesn't understand the power that he has. Yeah, and he he is just kind of you know he when he he forgets his boots on the hunting trip, and they imply that he always is forgetting things like that. And for Mike, it's like show respect to what we're doing. And Stan is just like whatever, just help me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also see the one time he's hunting, he's just like chasing a deer i don't even know if he shot it he's just like chasing it down a hill right he has he has that moment when he's talking to mike after when he's back from the war and he's with this woman he's like do you think she's beautiful like no like i don't either do you think she might be intelligent no i don't either why are you with her i don't know i'm asking you and i'm like Mm. stan doesn't seem to have a lot of direction and i think he's a lot of like fake machismo to get around it yeah he he, I, i will say though of those like minor friends i think he is the most like most of a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two, we had a uh, George Zunza. Zunza? I'm not sure. This is just this is, the act- sure. this is the actor's name. Yeah. Uh, as John Welsh, he is their friend who owns the bar. Um, he's kind of just like a lovable big guy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of just his character. Like he and Axel are the ones who always seem the most drunk when people are drunk, <laughs> but they're always having a really good time. He's really eager to like use his bar for his friends. He's very he's emotional. Uh, he's one of the first person to like openly cry at the end when Nick's funeral happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also like kind of a caregiver. Like he's like, I'll make the food. I'll get the drinks. Like I see why he has a bar. <laughs> yeah. Not a ton to say there. Uh, and then the other friend is uh, Chuck Aspigrin as Peter Axelrod, who they call Axel. Uh, so fun fact, not an actor. Oh. Steelworker who Chimino met when they were going to steel mills. And he just thought his personality and the wording was just was impressed by him. And I'm, I don't know if he had like steelworkers audition, uh-huh. but uh, Chimino put him in the film. He just gelled with the group. I, well. I guess. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of similar to John as another lovable big guy, but he is one. He's defined by consistently just saying fucking a all the time <laughs> <laughs> uh, of the two who are kind of like the fun loving ones. He seems the more mischievous of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also the one who I think calls out Stan the most. Yeah, uh, which, which pro- is helpful. Yeah, yeah, and that it's also what prompts the uh, the second gun scene in the cabin when Mike actually grabs it from him. Mm-hmm. That's really about it. For like, again, these these characters sort of exist to like be the same when they're in the film, even after the war, because they weren't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they're happy to see Mike back. You know, they want Nick back if they if it could happen. But uh, yeah, they're just the rest. They round out the friend group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really all the characters that are like named and featured. Uh, so some notes about the film that are just kind of worth talking about. Uh, controversy. Wow, a film about Vietnam after the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, so a big one is uh, one, Chimino was said to make the uh, North Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, way too like one-sidedly villains. Yeah, and I'd agree that they are kind of <laughs> villains. They're, yeah, and here's the thing. I think... The torture POW scene, that actually, I might have gone, this is a tiny enclosed camp, like, for all yeah, I know. Yeah, these guys are yeah. not great. But there's also the guy in the village who, like, throws a grenade into a trap door of women and children, and I'm like, <laughs> I get it, they're evil. <laughs> yeah, everyone in the town, it, it, like, yeah. all the towns are pretty run down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, Vietnam was a crazy, terrible tragedy, and a lot of bad things happen, but, like, it's a little more complex than good guys, bad guys. Which is also, again, hindsight as an American looking at the Vietnam War. Yeah. And it's also um, one a defense of that, though, is that it's kind of their mindset. Uh, because, of course, they're going to view 
like the entire urban, like even urban areas as uh, not as great after experiencing the war. Yeah, that's that's fair. And um, Chimino defends this and another decision, uh, which I'll get into, as he wasn't trying to make a political statement about Vietnam necessarily. He was using it as the backdrop to explore how it would change a character in general, mm-hmm. which I can see. Um, I think he inherently made a few statements without meaning to, if that's true. Yeah. Um, and the other controversy in that vein is the Russian roulette inclusion, because historically there's no records of the North Vietnamese doing that with their prisoners. Mm-hmm. He claims th- there is a source. Uh, it wasn't an American publication, and he didn't provide the specific article or anything. Right. I don't think that's a huge deal. I think it's just like a choice for torture. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, I think making it this specific Russian roulette thing is cool for symbolism use when you get into like Nick later on, like actively yeah. willing to put his life on the line. I think the the general portrayal of the North Vietnamese might be a, a bigger thing to look at and poke at. I think the Russian roulette specifically is more just like we chose a torture method that would help with the film's overall idea with characters. Right. So the screenwriting of this film, I've talked to you about, mm-hmm. also controversy, but it's between Chimino and Derek Washburn, who was the screenwriter. Mm-hmm. So they have differing stories on how the screenplay was written. Chimino says Washburn's script was crazy, and like he says it's like something someone mentally deranged wrote, and he basically had to rewrite it, mm-hmm. and takes like credit for the finished screenplay. Washburn says they gave him a month. He didn't have time to develop it as much as he wanted. And after he turned in his draft, they just fired him and then like put their names on it. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Worth noting, like we didn't talk about Chimino's filmography because this is kind of his most notable film. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of him and his other films are things I'd only heard of in like passing. Heaven's Gate is the only one off the top of my head I remember. And it's just kind of a name I know. Yeah. Hollywood, man. It's so, so much fun. <laughs> So, uh, in terms of just filming, uh, just some details of the production, uh, everything for the war was filmed in Thailand, so they did actually go to that area of the world, which is cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, America, so it takes place in a Pennsylvania small town, and they divided the filming up between four states. Uh, Pennsylvania, they Mm -hmm. did do some there, uh, West Virginia, Washington, and Ohio, which was interesting for us because we we are Cleveland area people, and it turns out... Uh, Ohio, they did steel mill footage and The Wedding, and it was actually the Tremont area of Cleveland, which is a neighborhood we're familiar mm-hmm. with. And I actually, if you look at the the Twitter and the Facebook for the show, I went and found the church and the reception hall, mm-hmm. and they're still there. The neighborhoods look very different. Tremont's had a lot of different mm-hmm. development for housing done, and they're like still doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church looks pretty much the same. Maybe they've rebricked it. I'd have to do a closer comparison. The hall, Lemco Hall for the reception is still there, but it's currently being used by a, like, yoga and massage place. <laughs> um, that authentic Russian-American <laughs> culture. <laughs> Granted, Robert De Niro is not also very authentic Russian-American. Yeah, so. that's fair. <laughs> Some other things. Uh, from a filmmaking standpoint, something we wanted to touch on, um, which we think works and doesn't work sometimes, which is why I'm going to talk about it as a broad note, is uh, Transitions between major areas mm-hmm. so what i mean is from pennsylvania to vietnam to pennsylvania to saigon to get nick again mm-hmm. it is always a really hard cut with no tr- like no indication that they're going now mm-hmm. we talked about this and you and you were the one who said when they first go to vietnam it's probably a good idea mm-hmm. i really like that because you have the quiet moment in the bar where they're wondering if it's going to be okay and hard cut to the craziness of war. They had no idea what they were getting into. And I think that sums up uh, their feelings really well. Yeah, I, I agree. That is a good move. I don't know if I like it as much the other times. I don't either. Because, okay. <laughs> like, when we go from Vietnam, like, we're out of, like, the war when we cut back to Pennsylvania. But it was still like, oh, Mike's coming home, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then wh- after Steve is like, I'm getting money from Saigon. Suddenly, Mike's in Saigon. Uh-huh. Which was just like, wow, that's a... I, I would have liked, I would have liked a little more, like, Mike, like, maybe I should go to Saigon. Like, there's a little bit of, like, he goes, like out uh, but I-, I wanted a little more 
I think just or like where are you going I'm going to the airport or like him like anything really because as much as I can fill in the gaps in my head as much as I can conceive of how he got there with the imagery cutting right to it uh it made me think of the Dark Knight Rises when Batman just gets back home (laughs) and and that, it, at least there, there's a plot hole. Yeah. Because you, you, you don't think Batman went to the airport <laughs> and took a plane home. And this was also like, he clearly used his military credentials because that's how oh, he yeah. gets into the embassy. Um, I also, it distracted me a little because I was like, oh, is he just going back to Saigon? Surely he's not just like, it seemed kind of inconceivable to me that he would do that. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know if realistically he could have done that that easily. Yeah. But I mean... It's not the worst thing ever. I. It's just, we both were like, huh. Yeah, it's just noteworthy. Yeah. Some more production notes. Uh, there are t- there are deer hunting scenes with deer in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first successful hunting scene, they do shoot the deer, but it's a tranquilizer. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to, I remember at the time, I'm like, I wonder if they killed a deer. It was the 70s. They might have been willing to do that. Yeah, and I also wasn't sure if it was hunting stock footage. Yeah. Like, if they, that already existed, but it's Because we talked about also, was there war stock footage? Right. I... I didn't do a lot of digging, but at a cursory look, I didn't find any, like, clarification. Uh-huh. Um, and, and knowing they did film things in Thailand, I'm like, there might, there maybe doesn't have to be. Uh-huh. Uh, if they had a big enough extra crew for some stuff. Right. They, uh, this, and there's a second deer in the hunting scene after Mike's back that doesn't actually actively get shot on screen, but apparently it's a deer that a Pennsylvania insurance company used in commercials. <laughs> cool <laughs> it's famous yeah uh, on an animal note uh when they were pow's in vietnam uh they used real rats mm-hmm. which is just i i wouldn't have been comfortable just throwing yeah. that out there yeah i'm imagining like they throw john savage in the cage and he's a lion there's rats in here what if he didn't know yeah <laughs> i i don't there's no evidence of that but like can you imagine though yeah on savage and uh on the note of savage and de niro so when they're being rescued or trying to be rescued after they get away from their captors, uh, they fall from the helicopter. Mm. Uh, only Nick makes it. They did that stunt themselves. Mm. That was both De Niro and Savage. They did that like 15 times just falling into a river. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one time they also said that the helicopter was almost going to like hit the bridge. Mm. And De Niro and Savage apparently noticed and they were like waving at the pilot. And apparently some of that is in the used <laughs> version. They cut some of that in because it's just like, I don't know. They look... Frightened yeah, and, and in distress. they are frightened and distress. <laughs> <laughs> and there's rats in here. Yeah. Uh, also, when De Niro uh, points the gun at Kazali when Stan is getting all threatening with the gun the second time, they put a live bullet in there. That was a live cartridge. Well, it says mm-hmm. live cartridge. That theoretically could be a blank. Uh-huh. But they put it in there. They said it was for the intensity. It also says Kazali would repeatedly check to make sure he wasn't about to get shot with something. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. The Crow. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Sounds like a pretty intense filming overall. Yeah, which is appropriate. I, oh, yeah. I, like, I, I'm glad everyone was really into it. Um, uh, it came across, uh, as much as I trust these actors to do well on their own, uh, I'm sure it helped. Yeah, um, which is really interesting, because actually the next note I have is the the final Russian roulette scene with Nick and Mike. Mostly improvised. Wow. Uh, the direction, the quote I have from Chimino, the direction was, you put the gun to your head, Chris, you shoot, you fall over, and Bobby cradles your head. First of all, Michael Chimino calls Rob, Robert De Niro Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bobby De Niro. Yeah. That sounds like a really, that sounds like the mafia character Robert De Niro would play. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the dialogue and the emotion, the the one shot line is theoretically improvised, which is a perfect line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so best supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to. I I didn't. This is on me. I forgot to check who some of the nominations lost to. I gotta know who beat De Niro because De Niro oh, was yeah. good too. And what one other scene I want to talk about is the God Bless America scene because from what I saw online, there's actually debate about whether it's genuine or not. Like, mm-hmm. are these characters really like celebrating America and like Nick and what he was, or are they bemoaning America? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, in character, it feels genuine only because it starts with John humming mm-hmm. when he's making the food and then Linda picks it up mm-hmm. and they all start singing. That feels real. Mm-hmm. Also worth noting, I didn't actually mention this. Angela is speaking by the funeral again, mm, seemingly yeah. because Stephen is back. That's one note I forgot to make, which also calls into question her condition. Right. 
again, not like maybe she didn't want to talk to Mike specifically because I I know like she wasn't active uh, socially. Yeah. I don't I, like again. I don't. I'm criticizing the filmmaking choice, not the idea of it, because I'm oh, not yeah. like that might happen. I'm sure someone could say I knew someone like this whose husband or wife went to war and they couldn't deal with it. Like that's very reasonable. I was not given enough time with this character to see the transition. Right. But uh, I think I'll ask your opinion because I'm deciding. Do you think from a filmmaker's perspective, again, as much as he says he wasn't making a statement about the war, mm-hmm. do you think the God Bless America in his head was putting a button on something? See, the thing is, uh, I totally interpreted that the opposite way. I interpreted that as bemoaning, the, like, oh, great. We won in quotes. Uh, yeah. We lost our friend for nothing. Yeah. I don't know historically in character if at that point people were like, we lost this war. Uh-huh. It just, I think part of it is like when it starts with, part of it is it starts with John. And uh-huh. John is seemingly like trying to comfort himself by singing something. Right. And then they all pitch in and then they toast Nick. Mm-hmm. I Like when you put it like that, I can totally see that as a form of comforting them, remembering what he died for. And just thinking about like the, the losses that come with it. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, we're watching this film in 2017. Oh, yeah. And it's very easy for us to see anything about Vietnam and go, this is going to be critical of Vietnam because no one's been positive about Vietnam since it was happening. Yeah. Like, we don't look at that as a great American victory for the most part, at least among my circle. Yeah, that, that's fair. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, I it's, That's what I've been exposed to, I guess I should say. Uh, so we're going to do something kind of different. Uh, normally at this point, we kind of would just get into like, what's your final verdict on the film? We're actually going to break down likes and dislikes a bit because we have mixed feelings about the film. Mm -hmm. So things we liked, uh, we talked about this before one, just the stuff in the war. Yes. Um, appropriate intensity sets up everyone for their post-war reactions. Uh, that's where the film, I think really grabbed me Mm -hmm. and I'll get into being grabbed. Yeah. I think, but we were both kind of on the same page getting into that point. I know. Yeah, as as soon as uh, they got there, it really kicked into gear, mm-hmm. and I think the film from that point on is a has the appropriate tone. Yeah. Um, uh, we also the like three these three like post war veteran accounts. I like how kind of different the experiences yes. are. There is probably some dramatization of a few things, like I, I mean. PTSD can manifest so differently per person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether or not PTSD is the right word for even what all of them are experiencing. Uh-huh. Um, I guess PTSD is not a word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I really liked that. I think all three of them gave really good performances. All film, but especially when it's like the now you have to act like you were at war. Yeah. Uh, I really appreciate that. We both like that. Even uh, uh, the Green Beret at the wedding is a good hint of what's to come with that. Right. That very dismissive fuck it uh when he like toasts his shot uh and like, like no emotion when he says it either yeah um who is that guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and in general those characters have just i think good arcs uh even outside of their war stuff i think it's i think they're they feel complete they feel natural mm-hmm. um and also just the way they juxtapose pennsylvania when they're back like not just these characters but their friends being like the same and mm-hmm. the town is exactly the same and like Linda still works at the same grocery store. They're still going hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go bowling. I didn't know they did that. That's actually yeah. only. <laughs> uh, did you notice, by the way, when they go bowling, Linda's shirt says Nick. No, it's his bowling shirt she's wow. wearing. But that, like, that was all really cool, and I th- that's a big part of the film. Mm-hmm. That being said, we have some like concrete dislikes. Uh huh. This film was so long, Joe. It is very. <laughs> uncomfortably long (laughs) and not like i want to stop watching in like a this is so intense it's just like a oh my god it's still going kind Uh, of long like it is worth noting that the there there were parts where i felt genuinely uncomfortable in the correct way yeah a lot of the war stuff a lot of the uh emotional stuff but at that point it wasn't it was different in the beginning of the film, yeah, that was very long. That's kind of our thing. We were both, and when it, so the beginning of the film again, leading up to the war is apparently like fifty-one minutes. Mm-hmm. When this film was over, and we were talking about it, I said, 
I'm, I was really bored during the beginning, and Joe just goes, me too! Yeah. Oh, I'm glad it wasn't just me! Yeah. I, it just, it's, there's a few things. Uh, one, just a very specific note, the wedding is way too long. You could easily cut that wedding down. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I remember thinking a few times, like, whenever they got to another point, I'm like, they could have started here, because uh, we started at the steel mill, and then we get the, them getting off of work. And I'm like, that's fine. It's showing they all work together. It's a like tight-knit community. And people are saying goodbye to them. Yeah. But then we we get a lot of character stuff with uh, them at the bar. And I'm like, well, we could have cut some of this and kept the beginning or cut the beginning, started here. Then yeah. at the wedding, I'm like, we could have started here. Mm-hmm. And just the wedding reception, a lot of it's just like partying. Yeah. And I don't need it. I understand they're party people already. And unfortunately, I think during the wedding, we don't get as much character stuff. It is very much the setting. They want you to feel the wedding. Yeah, we get a few moments. Yeah. And I think if... I think if the if the if it started with the wedding, which I admit I don't actually think as a film structure the wedding oh, would have been a good starting point. Right. But I do think like the the wedding earlier when we hadn't already gotten some characterization, I would have understood this kind of just was reinforcing some things. Some of it was new. Like I'm not saying the wedding is a useless scene. Mm-hmm. Also filmed in our hometown. Yeah. <laughs> But it was long. Apparently, uh, everyone working on the film was, like, based on the script, didn't think this opening would be as long anyways. Jamil <laughs> made it longer. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just, it was, I, a lot of it was boring to me. Uh, I I also, uh, a big problem with why it felt so long is we got the group as the group. We didn't get any individuals and... I couldn't distinguish anyone apart at first. Yeah. Um, it was just a very, they want you to know for like, not the entire 51 minutes, but like 20 minutes of this is a masculine group of friends. They work <laughs> at a steel mill and they rough house. And they go to the bar. They go to the bar. <laughs> and also we talked about a lot of that beginning. There's no distinct conversation to pay attention to. They're all just laughing and joking and I, what I think is none of the dialogue is supposed to matter. I think it's meant to give you a feeling. Uh-huh. You get the group dynamic, and that's interesting, but <laughs> it goes on way too long. They yeah. give you nothing to focus on for yeah. a really long time. You get lots of, hey, 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 oh, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, you could have cut that short and gotten into character discussions quickly because, like, Mike and Nick talking about hunting is interesting, Linda talking when she wants to live with them, like, that's a conversation I'm going to listen to. But other stuff, I'm like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I, it was... This film... We've watched... I've watched a few three-hour films from this oh, list yeah. already. We watched Seven Samurai. It was amazing and never felt too long. Yeah. Jamie and I watched Dr. Zhivago. It was long, but I didn't think... I wasn't like, when is this going to end? This is uh. the first lengthy film on this list where I said... I would like this to end soon. Yeah. And even when it was in the good stuff towards the end, I was... The problem is, like, you grab me with the war, but you are you have to pull me back from my disinterest at the beginning. Yeah. And then the other big thing we didn't like, hmm. the treatment of the females in the film. No, in that they were objects to be smacked around yeah, for the most part. There's, there's physical abuse for no reason... Um, Linda's role is kind of to, okay, uh, Linda's role, I sort of appreciate the idea of, like, they use Linda to show, like, Nick is, doesn't want to connect with his loved ones at home, and the, the comfort aspect with Mike and Linda, I, I understand, but there's a lot of just, like, she's sort of just the girl for them. Yeah. Uh, and then Angela, we've talked about, we get so little time with her. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it just feels like they wanted a character at home. It feels like they wanted one of the characters not at war to be doing badly. And they picked Angela. Yeah. And like, you during the wedding, it's just, there's a bunch of like stock bridesmaids. Stan smacks one, but they're not characters in the film aside from that. Right. I like, it, it is a very like macho group of guys film, but like the char- the girls, the the women they do have, it's... I wanted more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted them to. Be, I wanted them to feel more like people. They don't need to be like this specific like 
this like specific type of independent woman or anything. I didn't anything. need them to drive the film. I just no. needed them to have characters. I like we could have spent a little more time with them mm-hmm. if we I think if we had one less person in the friend group, if we consolidated the two uh bigger jolly yeah. guys cuz I think it's good to have that I am still very happy like their soul isn't broken because uh, they've been at home and Stan's immaturity I think are important to have but I think if we could have spent a little less time with them we, then we could have yeah. got more with them with uh, our female characters yeah so so a mixed bag for us overall which uh, is going to be interesting because now we have to ask the, the titular question do we think the deer hunter best picture winner the deer hunter mm-hmm. is as good as they say at 94 on this list mm-hmm uh you go first i think it is good but i don't think it is good as they say yeah um if someone told me it was on the list i think it belongs on the list but not quite this high maybe not on the list it's it's like it's not very high i think part of the problem is that some of the films that are lower i kind of want to be higher anyways yeah that is the problem um I I respect it in a lot of ways. I think some of what it did is very important. I think we have some amazing acting. I think some of the, I think some of the war. I think all the war stuff is really oh, compelling. Yeah. I think it's a good post-war story. I mm-hmm. think it's bogged down by trying to set us up to care and inadvertently making me care less on accident. Yeah. I I I respect the the good stuff i admire some of the technique from directors and actors and other parts of the film and the crew Mm -hmm. i am i'm fine if i never watch this film again yeah uh if someone said do you want to watch the deer hunter with me i would ask have you seen it before Uh and if the answer is yes i'd say no if the answer is no i will be your companion yeah if Um, if you want to watch it but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna propose it yeah Um, yeah, I, I don't, you know, we're not very far in the list, so it's hard for me to say, like, would I take it off the list? Mm-hmm. It'd be lower, though. Part right. of, I mean, part of it is Seven Samurai is the lowest on this list, and it's become one of my favorite movies, so that's going to be, oh, the, yeah. it's going to be the permanent, as you put it, <laughs> the bitterness that goes through the show. Um, but Joe, there, there is a question that I'm going to ask you, which is interesting. Uh-huh. Is this film better than film 67, James Cameron's Avatar? I think it's a better film, uh, yeah. I might be eager to watch uh, James Cameron's Avatar m- more. Like, I- I'd probably rather watch it because it's not going to crush my soul, at least. Yeah. Uh, even though I won't care. <laughs> um, I appreciate the film. I do appreciate the filmmaking techniques in this one, though. Yeah, uh, I I think this film has... You know what I think it is? Like, as much as uh, James Cameron with his Blue People movie is mm-hmm. technologically revolutionary... This film had things to say. Oh, yeah. Which is why I'm going to say it's still better than this film that is ranked too high on the list. <laughs> and even where it said it didn't care, it, uh, it, it, still, it still has things to say. <laughs> it at least made me think about Vietnam again, you know? Yeah. As, some, as someone who wasn't part of that generation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I guess, how we feel about Deer Hunter. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say the most disappointing on the list so far. Right. Uh, unfortunately. And you having been my co-host for a lot of things, would would you probably slide in there too? Yeah, I'd I'd put this the lowest so far. Uh, Yeah. Um, However, you know, it has accolades, it has merits. Um, I I can see why more serious people in film will appreciate it more than us. Oh, yeah. So that really brings us to the end of the episode. So uh, you can find the show all over the internet. The episodes themselves are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, iTunes will go up pretty quickly after SoundCloud. Uh, you can find the show on Facebook, as good as they say, uh, on Twitter. Uh, if you look up as good as they say, that should come up as the title. The actual handle is at good as they say, mm. my permanent shame. Um, <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Connor Dedek, C-O-N-O-R-D-E-D-E-K. Uh, currently, this as this episode is coming out in October, my name is Candy Corn. <laughs> Happy Halloween with the deer hunter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it's a very fall movie. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact: a bunch of the stuff in Pennsylvania was filmed in the summer, and they had to make it look like fall. Yeah, it looked pretty cold. Yeah. <laughs> Pennsylvania sounds cold. Yeah. <laughs> We're from Ohio. It's similar. Yeah. Um, you can also email the show as good as they say at gmail.com if there's anything you want to say about the show, the movies, movies coming up, movies we've already talked about. Comments, tweets, emails, all that stuff is perfectly acceptable. And we are going to keep rolling along with this list. The next movie is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So give that a watch if you haven't. We'll be talking about it pretty in-depth. And until then, Joe, thanks for coming back. It's nice being here. Was it nice watching The Deer Hunter? Uh, it, it was <laughs> not a pleasant experience. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And we will be back with the next episode. Thank you all for listening and see you soon.